This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Boomerang country and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We recognise First Peoples of Australia as the original storytellers of this country and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to episode two of Bite Big, Boss Women Leading Big Brands. I'm your host, Amber Bonney, and today I am definitely fangirling with local fashion icon and today's co-host, Fatuma Denzako, who is a founding partner in Melbourne-based fashion brand, Collective Closets. Welcome, Fatuma. Well, thank you for having me. That was a really good intro. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, a little bit about Collective Closets. Uh, you describe yourself as a slow fashion women's wear label. It was founded by you and your sister, Lorinda, and it celebrates your African-Australian heritage and also plays homage to your late mother, Stella, who was a talented seamstress and connects audiences with the culture and history of the African continent. And I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit about that as we start to talk. Your brand is run entirely by local female staff who are passionate about uniting women through a universal sartorial dialogue. I will say when I read that, I had to look up what sartorial meant. (laughs) So thank you for teaching me a new word. Sartorial basically means fashion and or tailoring. Never heard of that word. So thank you for that. I thought it was only appropriate that I'd be wearing one of your beautiful pieces today, which we will put on social media. It is from your recent collection. It's one of my favourites. And every time I wear it, people stop me in the street, literally out the front or where did you get that? That looks amazing. Every time I put it on Instagram, I'm wearing something, someone will DM me to say, oh my God, where did you get that dress? So now I just usually tag you because it's easier. I did want to mention as part of your bio, your work for Collective Closets was recently featured at the National Gallery of Victoria as part of the Melbourne Now exhibition, which is absolutely incredible. Congratulations, by the way. And I'm really excited to have you here and get under the skin of your mantra and what drives you to bite big. So let's get into it. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right. So my mantra and the reason this podcast really started was it was all about biting big and chewing like hell. That's my personal mantra. And what that means for me, I suppose, is different things at different times in my life. But I suppose there's always been underlying confidence or maybe naive bravery in just sort of jumping in and saying yes and then worrying about how I'm going to do it later. (laughs) And I was really fascinated to see your mantra, which is always be kind. Life is too short to not be kind to others. So I'm fascinated. How did this come about and how does this show up for you? Yes. Well, really, it's a mantra that I've had through my whole life, especially as a mum and as business owner. I feel like when I look and reflect about the most amazing or the most important or the most influential times in my life is when someone's been really kind to me, whether it was like, you know, when I was young and I wasn't quite fitting in, we're like the first African um, family in our community. And it just took one girl, Hayley, to be really kind to me. Oh, and shout out changed. to Hayley. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it changed my whole like perspective of 
school because then I had someone, you know, to hang out with. And I look at my whole life and I just think that that was something that has always been a part of my journey. And then when we were starting the business, it was literally other women being so kind to us and giving us a shot, sharing their knowledge, you know, like sharing what they could do for us or even just helping us out that then propelled us to where we're at now. And I think if it wasn't for their acts of kindness, and their time, we probably wouldn't even be here, to be honest. Not that we wouldn't have got there, but, you know, we don't have to make the same mistakes as other people. And if someone just, like, you know, wants to collaborate or puts you on your Instagram or really goes out of their way with nothing to gain to kind of be there for your brand, I think that that's just something really nice. And as a mum as well, like, my son, I'm always talking about kindness. I don't care what he is, a rock star or a doctor or, you know, um, a teacher. I just want him to really be kind and I think that that's something my even my whole family kind of do all the time. We're always talking about it, being kind to others. You know, life is just too short. You just don't know who you're talking to as well. Uh, it's a beautiful mantra. I had a conversation recently with my husband and I, you know, I mentioned to him, I'm like, look, life's just too short. Like we only get this one gig, right? And you just never know when it's up, not yeah. to get macabre. But, <laughs> you know, you've got to do your best and, you know, certainly part of my philosophy in business, especially over the last five years, has been when you reach a point where you can actually also start to give back and start to support other people. And giving back's not always just about, you know, handing out cash. It's mm. it's actually about giving people your time, going out of your way to promote other people. And for those listening, I met Fatuma maybe three years ago, pre-COVID, when I was president of the Creative Women's Circle. It's an organisation that supports and advocates change in women and women in marketing, women in business. They have all sorts of workshops and uh, talks. And I think you came out to do a talk and that's like, oh my God. And then I saw the collective closets close. And yeah, once, once I saw your line, I was absolutely in love. <laughs> For anyone who haven't seen uh, Jump Online, but Definitely, you know, you've got a very bold, brave, beautiful and, of course, inspired by um, your home country. So I think that's really amazing. Yeah. And even when I think about it with fashion, I think that when we first started to get into it, fashion has changed a lot. It wasn't a kind industry when we first got into it. And obviously we were doing something so different. We weren't fashion trained. And I remember Lauren and I would be in some of these rooms and be like, oh, my God, this does not feel nice. And so when we started to do more work, we were like, no, nah, we're changing it. We kind of stopped going to all of those like social gigs. We kind of hunkered down, built our own community. And every interaction with all the women that we work with, like whether it's like even someone like Lucy from The Design Files, everyone is so kind and so lovely. And I feel really like proud of that, that before it was such an intimidating space. And now it's this like women supporting women and we do that. You know, I still mentor and still work with some of the girls at the social studio. Yes, And I'm yep. bringing that mentor in, you know, I'm like, come and talk to me anytime. I have got anything that you need and I can give you definitely come through. And so I think that that philosophy will carry you to like a really good place in your life. I don't mean like, you know, or you'll be the most successful, but I think you'll be the most content in the work that you do. Yeah. And that's important. And I think if anything, my experience, especially going through COVID, like everybody else is, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, if you're not being kind to yourself and kind to others, it's pretty hard to be content and happy, right? Mm. Like you're bringing a lot of resentment to work (laughs) and the way that you treat other people. And, you know, certainly 
my experience during that time was it was that kindness and empathy for other people that allowed us even as a business to keep going with clients and to ask potentially if we needed forward payments or, you know, some of our clients are on really long payment terms, which when everything's, you know, sailing is great. But when, you know, suddenly things get a bit tight, you need to call in those favours. And if you're a complete ass, you can't really call in those favours (laughs) because nobody wants to help you. Absolutely. What year did you start Collective Closets? So we started Collective Closets in 2016. And when I reflect on it, I think the first couple of years was kind of a bit of a hobby business. Yeah. So I think that it kind of took like maybe 2019 for it to be a real business. But I mean, at the start, we always had like a give back um, strategy. So when we first started the business, obviously we were getting all of our fabrics from Kenya. We were like, oh, what are we, if we're taking something from this, what are we giving back? Mm. So at first we had these huge ambitions to be like, you know, 20% of every sale, we'll do all this stuff. And, you know, when you start actually. You start to look at your profit margins going, (laughs) actually, this is not viable. So then we start, we, you know, we changed it up a bit where then we sponsored one of the girls that we like thought was amazing to go to like from high school all the way to university. And we just paid for all of her tuition. And like even now we've kind of like put that on hold a little bit and tried to tweak on what we could do to really make it a bit more impactful. Yeah. And we're in that process now with launching this new collection to try and make sure that that kind of still stacks up because at least, you know, we want to make sure that what we're saying, what we're doing is impactful. It's not just a, like a tagline. It's you know, not a tagline. So since then we've kind of really been able to develop the brand with the emphasis and always like thinking about what are we doing? What are we giving back? What are we thinking about? What does this content that we're producing, all these clothes, how do they empower? How do they kind of like, you know, we're we're selling clothes, we understand at the end of the day, but what does that mean? And representation, what does it mean for women of all sizes? What does that mean? What are we talking about? And so for us, it's always an element of what we do. Yes, we want to sell a blazer, but also we want to understand or we want to make sure that person that's buying it feels like she's, you know, wearing something that's making her feel really powerful and happy, but also we're talking to her about different things that's happening in the world. Yeah. And you touched on something that really resonated there around inclusivity of sizes. So in, I suppose, the fashion space, whenever there's startup labels, and this is my experience, certainly in fashion in Melbourne, you know, they start at size six at the latest and maybe go up to a 12, 14 if you're very, very lucky. But if you try and get into a 14 and you are actually a 14, you can't actually squeeze it in. My experience in coming to you when you were in the Queen Vic, your store there, it was just such a beautiful space to be, not only because you and your sister were there to be helpful, but you felt good. You knew, certainly for me, I've always been, you know, between a size 12 to 14, but always knew something was going to fit me. And there's nothing worse than going in somewhere, especially looking at blazers, for example. I can never get anything to get across my shoulders. <laughs> it's really, you know, demoralising when you try to put something on. It doesn't work. So congratulations on, you know, not only creating a range that um, has impact in other communities, but also in the local community in terms of what it looks like and the fact that your size is inclusive. 
Oh, thank you. I mean, we're all women as well. Like, no, I'm a 14. My sister's about a 16. And so we also understand we're building clothes or making clothes for real women, yeah. especially through coronavirus, which is really interesting. I think that we had like a philosophy of what women wanted and obviously they were reflecting that by what they were buying. And then after coronavirus, I was having conversations with so many women that was just totally different. I think that those years made people reflect on their bodies or how they felt about their bodies. And yeah. instead of me just being like, here's a top, here's that. I was having these deep conversations about other women accepting their body for what it is now or saying how they wanted to improve it. And it was really interesting because I think that the fashion industry has kind of got women to think that they're not okay. Yeah. And so when people were coming into our space, we were like, no, it's the clothes that need a little bit of this. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, why don't you just get that altered in? Like, and we can offer that as a service. Not everyone is the same. The same size. I think that fashion needs to stop like boxing people into that because I feel like even you know even the perfect size eight she might have a bit more boob or a little bit more butt that means it's very different from you know each brand so I'm really glad that we've been able to build a brand that is you know very inclusive and the customizing piece I mean that's key across every industry we say the personalization and customization is you know the fastest growing need from a consumer perspective everybody wants something that they feel is either made for them or tailored towards them in some way which is amazing I really want to talk about the business of kindness and how your experience might have changed over time since 2016 in terms of people's approach to operating a business that is ethical and where you do have a safe space to be kind. Have you seen that change since 2016? Yeah, I feel like it's actually strengthened. So before 2016, it was still, I mean, we're also very new. So maybe I should say before COVID, the thought of ethical fashion has also changed people's perception because there's a lot of brands are ethical, but when you start to get into the nitty gritties, there's a lot of greenwashing as well. So I think that, um, like what we've done and what we're kind of talking about now is what's ethical to us, Mm -hmm. what our plans are right now and what we want to do in the next five years, our commitment to it. Just through manufacturing, like the way that manufacturing has changed in Australia, we've decided to manufacture some of the collection actually in Kenya. Yeah, amazing. I imagine logistically that was quite complex to resolve. (laughs) But what was really interesting and, you know, because we've always been like Melbourne made, Melbourne made, and obviously there's still an element of our business that's Melbourne made, was going over there and understanding how different quality standards are there and we were like so shocked about how much all of the team that we were working with like quality was so big it was like a real pride in the craft of you know dressmaking and tailoring 100% and also we were having amazing conversations Lorinda was really lucky because she went to Kenya and spent like about eight weeks putting it all together. I mean, we were already having the conversations prior to that, but really just solidifying those relationships. And she was able to have like some really amazing conversations with like some of the ministers in Kenya. And it was really, really great to hear about their commitment to sustainability and how much the Kenyan government was actually putting into their manufacturing. I mean, Australia's still doing that, but it was really interesting. Like a lot of the manufacturing in Kenya has 
increase. They, you know, Calvin Klein manufactures there. Vivian Westfield manufactures there. But what they're doing in terms of sustainability was really exciting to have that. And we were bringing it up. They were like, this is what we're doing. This is what doing. we're doing. So for us in that way, it was really like that sustainability part going over there and also just like meeting women. This is their bread and butter and it really changes their lives in different ways. And so we're really excited to support women there. We're excited to support women, women here. here. And, and that's sort of that full circle. Um, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Because like anything, I've always said that having a job that you love is actually a, a real gift and not to be taken for granted because for many people in the world, they have a job because they have to have a job and they have to earn a and in income. So I've always found the premise of telling young people, you know, you have to love what you do and follow your dreams is actually just a bit of a fallacy because <laughs> um, there's a bit of arrogance to that in the sense of ignoring the fact that a lot of people need to work. Yeah. But the impact that it can have generationally of women watching their mums do something and have a job with purpose or even just caring about what that job is and knowing that there's people behind it that also care, that can have, you know, massive impact for future generations as opposed to just the the actual generation. Yeah, 100%. I feel like as well as like being a woman of colour, you hear that a lot. Like if you see it, then you can do it, which is actually really exciting because you're always thinking, oh, you know, if I just can see one person doing it, no matter how big they are, you're like, I could do it. And that's really positive in in our Mm. culture and I think that that's when you see a lot more of like this entrepreneurship within my community anyway increased because everyone Mm. is like going away from those traditional and I mean we're not knocking those I mean Mm. being a doctor is nothing to or a lawyer shy away from shy away from if we're only all smart enough to be able to get that but but looking at those people that maybe have trained you know started a law degree or finished a law degree and said oh does this really make me happy yeah and I'm seeing that a lot more growing in because I think that in a lot of African communities most of the people well I grew up with all went to university their parents all pushed this narrative in my mum I want to become a florist she was like no you gotta go to university is that a university course and I was like oh, I think it's architecture just- forestry <laughs> can we how can we blend these things <laughs> yeah and so um, that was such a big push in mm. that community and so it's nice to also watch that next generation of also doing a bit of both, something that is practical, but something that they love. And that's where the mentoring, as you mentioned before, and the supporting other women is that the more that you can support other people's endeavours by helping them with your skills or things that have failed or, you know, even just, you know, one of the great things about community, I think, especially in business and women in business, is just those tips in, oh, I really, I know someone who could help you with that or Mm -hmm. I know someone who knows someone who can help you with that. And sometimes just those little connections can make a massive difference in overcoming an obstacle that might be in your way. 100%. All right. I want to move on to this idea of risk versus safety. I mean, we all know from an entrepreneurial perspective that when you start a business and you would have experienced this and and potentially for you and Lorinda, it might have been a bit different if you started more of a side hustle, but Mm -hmm. there's always risk, isn't there, when you make that decision about I'm now going to rely on this for an income, right? That's a big difference between (laughs) something you love to do on a weekend or at night or at a market, for example, versus now my family is going to be reliant on that. What's your experience about, I suppose, making those 
courageous or risky decisions versus when you might play it safe in business? Well, I think we're really lucky for when we started because right now there's a different culture on taking risk, which I wouldn't have the appetite for. You know, I watch these TikToks where someone launches a product, they get like a thousand sales and it all looks like overnight. And I'm glad that I wasn't looking at that as a as what success looked the like. The benchmark. Yeah. yeah. For us, success and risk was all about what worked for our individual families. Like yeah. we're both married, we both got kids. And so when we started doing the business, we were like, okay, we're funding it ourselves. We're not asking our husbands. We are funding it ourselves. And then we're going to do what we can do within this budget because we've got all these other responsibilities. Yeah. And so our risk appetite was low at the start. But when we saw some proven sales and it was just between Lauren and I, we're like, okay, we can do this. Then our risk appetite got bigger. And we also weren't comparing ourselves to anybody else. We were like, okay, we're growing at this. We're going to get resources, whether it's a a marketing coach or someone to help us. And we're going to like get these milestones. And once we can see these sales and these proven kind of interactions and, you know, us building our audience, then the risk became bigger and bigger. bigger and bigger. I think that each to their own, but I don't think that you know, risking it all and like eating baked beans actually works for our type of business because what I think happens when money is such a focus, then you make decisions that aren't authentic for your brand. This is just in yeah. my personal opinion. So instead of like, you know, if we had huge outstanding debts, I think we'd be like, what can we sell? This has to be on sale. Where now we're like, you know what? You start moving into scarcity and then you start making decisions based on scarcity. Yeah. And I mean, you have to sometimes. And so Mm. that's like, you know, but we've tried to make sure that we were doing things that were just made all our decisions and all the things that we wanted to do was just made on what we thought was authentic. Like we even took six months off really, like six months to kind of redirect the business, obviously, you know, start a different manufacturing. And in that six months, we didn't really sell anything that much. And we were like still trying to build this story. You know, we hired technical designers. We were able to spend that six months really like, you know, turning the business into this other direction. But we weren't constantly thinking about money because we kind of put ourselves in a situation where we realised that that was really, really important to turn this ship around and also like retail's changing and what customers want but we've given ourselves that time to be able to do it if we had all this risk and like you know we kind of overshot we wouldn't have been able to do that because we would have been worried about all the cogs and all of the invoices all this stuff that we were going to have to pay and so I have worked out and also for my my mental health also for my own kindness to myself feeling that kind of what is it like that the spiral. Yeah, spiral can also be quite detrimental because, you know, as you know, as having a small business, it's every day that you're thinking about it. It doesn't really stop. You might get a Sunday here or there. So having 24-7. Yes, 24-7. Yeah. So for me, I realised that my risk, I wish that it was probably bigger because I look at some, you know, colleagues or people that have had brands that have really taken some risks and it's paid off. And I look at them and I'm like, wow, but I've worked out for myself. I'm a 50-50. Sometimes you go big. Yeah. Sometimes you just stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I really love that. (laughs) I mean, I think what's interesting is I caught up with you. I think when I bought three pieces from your collection down at the Queen Vic market, it was the first time I'd I'd driven past your store there and you had said to me that you're going to take a pause. And I thought, wow, I actually remember getting in the car after that going, oh, the sense of 
control, I suppose, the bravery in saying, actually, we need a bit of a pause moment when traditionally everyone's always in sales, 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 grow, grow, grow strategy. I really remember driving home that day thinking that is actually a boss move. Like to say <laughs> that what the two of you needed then was to regroup, refocus, rethink, but to take the space you needed to do that is actually a really brave move. There are risks associated with, not that you've ever like spent less time on your socials because your socials always (laughs) seem to be on, but there is risk, I suppose, in pausing that Mm -hmm. are you going to be less visible because you're not there? Are you going to be, are people going to forget about you? Are people going to think that you've closed or failed or whatever that is? But I thought you managed that communication to your audience really beautifully and, you know, you've come back absolutely thriving. So I think that is a really boss move. (laughs) Well, to be honest, it's interesting. After you and I had that chat, two things happened. We were brave enough. I didn't even think that it was a fail. For me in business, there's no fail because you've tried, you've gotten so much. Like I look at before I had collective closets, I worked corporate. It was a great job. But like for me to get to where I am right now, I couldn't have done it in that job. I would have had to prove myself for years and years and burnt myself, you know, like I've gone from here to here really quickly being my own boss. Yeah. And so I look at that and I go, oh, that's not a failure if the business didn't work. Second, the business wasn't going to work if we kept going like that. So for me, it was a no brainer. And after that, I spoke to so many other business owners and they came to us and they were like, oh my God, that is the most refreshing thing. I know. And like I was one of those calls. people. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that is, I really, I really reflected after that. Working in the creative industry and we work with a lot of brands, obviously, even in our creative process, one of the things I always talk to the team about is knowing when to stop and and reflect. So if something's not working or if you need to rethink, there's always like there's a sort of a natural push and momentum to go, we just got to keep going. There's a deadline, there's a deadline. And the strength in saying actually we need to pause is something that I try to talk to the team about and going, if something doesn't feel right or you feel like you need to find the space, put your hand up and let's talk about that as a team. Mm. I've never really, I suppose, been brave enough to do that with the business though. And there Mm. have been many times and even recently really coming out of COVID, we're coming up to 12 years in business, especially as a solo operator. 12 years is a long time to be at the front of the ship with the wind blowing your face off. So um, (laughs) I I really think that was a brave move. And I, like other people, as you mentioned, I really thought, wow, would I be brave enough to say, actually, I'm going to cut back a bit and take a bit of a pause. Mm. I haven't done yet. Watch your space. (laughs) It might happen. Well, the thing about it is we didn't really, like I thought I was going to do some gardening. I actually thought I was going to stop. But really what happened was we spent our time working out what our next step was and that took a lot of time. So we weren't doing it like maybe 24-7 that we were doing before, but we were still like actively working on it. And then we got all these amazing opportunities at the same time. And again, if we were back in what we were, mode that we were in before these opportunities would have come in and we wouldn't have been able to actually would have been another email that you just wouldn't have even had the space to think about a hundred percent like we didn't have the manufacturing to be able to to move forward with that we just didn't have the things to take us from here to there so it doesn't have to be like pause you know shut down your computer it just needs to be like 
hold on, let's yeah. just see what's working, what isn't. And sometimes it just goes back to numbers. Of we were like, we're doing a summer, a winter, transseasonal, and I'm just running the numbers. And I'm like, oh, actually, that was a bit of a donut. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. You know, but the amount of energy it took to create that donut was yeah. a lot. It was so, a lot. So, you know, taking the pause and refocusing doesn't mean success. It doesn't mean that we're going to be like the best now, but it's going to be on our terms. And that's another thing with running your own business. Sometimes you forget you are the boss because you get like, you know, in this roller coaster. So it was a win-win for all of us, to be honest. And now we feel a lot more better. I mean, it's pretty full on still, but it's just a, a space that, and it's a business that we want to work in. That is really inspiring. And I'm sure people listening will, will feel <laughs> the same. So let's talk about being a brand boss. And I know for some people, the word boss doesn't resonate or <laughs> does resonate. I suppose I want to understand, do you ever think about yourself as your own boss? Or when you hear the word boss, what, what does that mean for you? Yeah, it doesn't really. The other day my son asked me, it's like, mum, who's the boss at Collective Closets? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Someone else. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. No, because I feel like the way that we work and we've got a team, a small team and then a bigger team because we've got a lot of freelancers, a couple of people that work only a couple of days a week. I look at myself as learning all the time you know like this year we've had a few people that are more technical so I'm learning from them so I don't feel like I'm a boss I feel like I'm like the person that lets them do what they want to do creatively um I get to you know do what I want to do creatively and we kind of co-collaborate as I would say together Um, and then I'm also the person that when things aren't going right it's me just being like what's happening here, you know, steering the ship back to the course that it's Where it to needs be. to be. So I'd call myself, I don't know if I'd say I'm a boss, I'd say like, you know, maybe I'm just like a leader of the team because everyone, like there's so many bosses in the team. Like the moment we've got Lois Hazel, she's a boss of what she does and I come to her with all the, you know, questions and advice on what's going to make our collection and then we've got another girl, Foz, who's a boss at her, you know, construction and I come to her even last night at like, 11.30, she was like, I was asking her about how the fabrics are working together and she was like, this and that, it's going to be amazing. So I'm not the boss of that, you know. No, yeah. You're taking the risk, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm I mean, putting my name to it, but I'm definitely in a team. Yeah, I mean, I've always had an uncomfortable relationship, like when I'm in a meeting and someone says, my boss, I'm sort of looking around <laughs> as in, like, who are they talking about? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it's because traditionally it's been such a gendered word. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about all the stereotypes of the word boss, like the first thing I think about is a white middle-aged man in a suit, a white suit mm-hmm. with like a blue tie, like an accountant or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the middle manager sort of vibe. So I wonder also if there's just, yeah, some sort of, I don't know, historical patriarchal attachment to the word mm. boss that makes people uncomfortable or certainly makes women uncomfortable. 100%. And also maybe in most of my early careers I had male bosses. Mm. Some of them were not my favourite. So I, was, I wasn't I was always like aspirationally like this I want to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that. I've got here what's been your biggest boss fuck up. But I think what's important in business is sharing the vulnerability of the successes, but also the failures. Mm -hmm. What's been a moment where you really feel like, oh God, like I've either made the wrong decision or 
I've been too slow in a decision and I've missed an opportunity. Has that ever happened for you? Yeah, I think last year was a bit of <laughs> last year was a bit of like that where we because of coronavirus, what had happened was all the supply chains just weren't working as effectively. Everything was waiting, so we rushed. We were, we we're always rushing because we were like pivoting all the time. We were just rushing. And there was a moment I remember where I was like, I think that we should take a bit more time on this. And we were like, oh, but it's going to be so late. The season will be so late. Let's just rush through it. So last year I think we made some decisions and we we're also listening to the customers too much. They're like, we want this, we want that, we want that. And instead of me just being like, actually, I know that's working. This or, is my brand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like I'll take a little bit on, but, you know, essentially this is what I know is going to work. I kind of just got clouded in this like communal brand. Just too many. Of, yeah. yeah. And so last year was a bit like that, I think, for me, before we had that pause, yeah. a little bit of a rush a little bit of a lots of people were taking shortcuts because they were all rushing. And I think it was because the supply chain situation was just going everywhere. Like one manufacturer would have like 30 clients and everyone's rushing to get their collection in because it meant all of these other things for them. So I think last year, if I, there's so many moments where I was like, if I would have just done this and I would have done that. And I think with business, you're always learning. I'm sure yeah. like this year, even this year, I can see that I'm well more prepared. I, I know that, but I'm, I know that I'm going to make mistakes, but also the mistakes like I'm glad last year happened because this year is so much more exciting. And I think about all the opportunities that are coming my way or our way. And I'm glad that those mistakes were made last year. So now that I'm taking bigger projects on, they're not happening, you know? So I don't even look at them as as mistakes because they are. They're mistakes. I think that you need these mistakes. They're the opportunities. To, yeah, because yeah. I feel like if you already know everything, then how do you move forward? How do you really keep pushing? How do you improve? Yeah, I totally respect that. You mentioned something before about opportunities and obviously you're exhibiting at the NGV. How do you curate those opportunities? Because I'm sure you get approached all the time. Well, maybe I'm making an assumption, but <laughs> I think you're such a cool brand that I'm assuming you get approached all the time. How do you sort of curate where you invest your time so that you don't get so distracted because mm. it's easy to get distracted I yeah. think in business where I've always talked about I tend to operate a little bit with blinkers on and that's not from an arrogant perspective but certainly when I think about my competitive circle or my community in the creative industry there's so much competition everyone pitching against each other and winning tenders and not winning tenders and my philosophy has always been that if I get too distracted by looking around at what everyone else is doing all the time, then I lose focus of where I'm actually going. Is that something similar for you? Like, How do you know where to put your focus? Well, I'm lucky because I don't have FOMO. So I actually love when people are doing amazing, but it doesn't reflect or actually... Yeah, you don't connect it or attach it to you. No, when I see other brands doing amazing... Lorinda and I are like, wow, that is Congrats. so great. Yeah. Like we're cheerleaders. Like, and if it means something for us, it's probably just like, oh my God, we probably just need to improve or, oh, or sometimes it's like, oh, that person has done this, but also like it's acquired more from them that yeah. we don't have to give. Yeah. yeah? They don't have kids, so they don't have to worry about that. So I look at it and go, oh, wow, that's amazing, but I can't it's not commit for me. to that. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, I'm lucky I don't have FOMO. Like even when my friends are out and I'm just like, 
Good, good for you, girl. <laughs> you know? you drink that how, cocktail on the rooftop. Yeah, yeah. That's a philosophy through my whole life. Yeah, but is I, that something that you always have had? Because I, yeah. I that resonates for me definitely as I've gotten older and I just care less about what people think. <laughs> but, yeah, is that something that growing up you've always had that sort of sense of self? I think maybe not in high school. Mm. I've been told from a few yeah, people that well, that's high a, school with me. It's just a vortex, isn't it, of shame <laughs> yeah. high school. But I think from um I think from after high school, I think I remember turning 18 and I was, you know, going to uni. I remember just being like staying in my lane and being really happy and content with that. I think that I weirdly had like a bit of a mental breakdown kind of when I finished high school because I realized that I was wasn't sure. Yeah. What, like I was what am I doing? Myself, yeah. you know, you get into school. You're like, oh, oh my god, what does that mean? Where do I fall? You know, where am I going to go with my life? And I remember after that time, that was it. Like I just kind of just Let did it my go. own. Yeah. And so I, because I've always had that, I'm always I'm not really that fussed. But also, I think that my job in life or my role in life is actually to be the cheerleader. Yeah. Like. We need more cheerleaders, people. No, and I think Lorinda is like the perfect because her and I cheerlead each other. We cheerlead other brands. We cheerlead our friends. We cheerlead our families. So that's our role in the way we kind of also have our business. It's very rare that we're like, why aren't we there? And I think that when you start to go, why, why, there's probably a reason why you're not there. Yeah. And, and also, there's a, a, a bitterness that comes with that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know? and I also feel like the, the universe, and this is actually my philosophy, the, mm. the universe will give you something when you are ready. You know, there's often opportunities where I've like maybe had like, oh, why? And I was not ready for that opportunity. I always think that if I started collecting closets in my 20s, it would have been a total disaster because I wanted to party. Yeah. You know, and I didn't have the discipline to do it. Mm. And because that's my mantra as well in my yeah. mind, like the universe is, then I'm never, I never think, oh, well, why not me? Or yeah. why not us? In terms of juggling the situations, I mean, when the NDV asks you to do something, you're like, yeah, we're doing that. Nobody says soz, <laughs> like we're just, yeah. But we've had to learn how to say no. And I think also learning how to say, what will this do for the business? If it's not really a moneymaker, then what is it? Is it an exposure? Like is it actually, profile building? Yeah. Is it supporting the community? Is what it, sort of pillar does it fit into the business and how does it serve you? Yeah, and it's, sometimes it's just not a no. It's just like a not right, this is not going to work right now but we, we're really interested, let's just do it next year. Because I feel like sometimes you say yes, 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 which is what we did for the last five years. Yeah. And it ended up burning us out. And when we did some of these projects, because we were so burnt out, it didn't actually kind of land in the way that we thought. So now we're kind of like, we love it. We actually think that this is going to be really successful next year for these reasons. And we want to engage in that because we know that that's going to work for them and saying it to people. And often they're really excited because they're like, you know what? You're that's right. Great. We're yeah. not rushing through this. We're not, not considering A, B, C, D. And we're, we're actually having this organic and authentic conversations with other people, like with our audience. And also like going back to sustainability, sometimes it's like, does the world need another this? this yeah. Right now, you know, like we've already released this. Do they need it? Is it better that we do save it for next year? Because I don't want my customers to just be buying, 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 buying Constantly. as much as I'm happy for her. <laughs> customers come into my shop and I'm sometimes like, no, Lisa, you've already bought like You've 10. got 12 yeah, pieces of that no, collection. You, you can't have any more. I mean, like, that said, I did try to buy the bomber jacket <laughs> and it was already sold out. I was like, no, damn it. <laughs> Honestly, because it's also that. And I think yeah. that when I'm having those organic conversations with customers, I think they also think like, you know what? It's true. It's not just about the money you're making. It's also, you know, what does this impact make? 
I love that. And I also like the sentiment, I suppose, that I see in that idea around curating some of those probably also helps you make some decisions around where the authentic partnerships might be versus mm-hmm. just people who are wanting to fill a gap quickly. If they're prepared to keep engaging with you and, you know, you can slowly start to sort of build that uh, relationship as opposed to let's just get in and out and not that that's it. You never, you never hear from them again. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons when I first started my business, I went to all of those kind of networking nights. And in the end, I actually went, I'm talking to the same people all the time. I never ended up connecting with anyone. There's no long-term partnerships here. Mm. I ended up finding that going to different kind of smaller community groups is what served me as opposed to those big sort of 300 people. And then you all sit there and have your cup of tea, you eat too much and, (laughs) you know, you drop a card in a bowl and and that's it. There's no kind of sustaining partnerships. You're not really building a community around you. Well, the funny thing is I've only went to a few of those and the ones that I went to weirdly, like the people that I connected with, I actually then have still connected. Like you I went to that one. Well, I mean, that was a great day. Yeah. <laughs> but like Monique from Woma yep. Studios, like she'd recently wore our piece at um, the design files for her oh, house. Oh, amazing. Emily, her and I, oh, yeah. you know, I'm sending her an email soon about a collab. So like the ones that I have, because they are, there's lots of people, you're kind of like, is this really what I want? Is this, is anything going to come out of it? But the ones that I have gone to and I've made a connection with that person has actually really kind of served me long term. Well, I, I like think you've been was... to better ones than I. <laughs> I think that's what I'm putting it down to. You've been to some good ones. Well, I'm glad personally. I wanted to ask you, and if you can't think of anything on the spot, that is mm-hmm. completely fine, but Bite Big podcast starts with two Bs. So we thought, why not ask what your biggest B moment has been? Is anything coming up for you? Bold. I mean, you know, I think bold. I feel like whenever I've thought about um, the brand, I'm like, oh, my God, that was a bold move. Who opens up a retail store and didn't really put together a business plan? That was bold. Or that's bold to just start a brand. It's bold to just manufacture in Kenya. Like, so I think bold is probably. Yeah. And I don't even know it until after the moment. I'm like, oh, my God, that is quite bold. How did I think I could do that? Yeah. Well, if I had to capture the aesthetic of your brand in one word. I think bold would be yes, one of the first well. words I would use to describe it. And I think, you know, you mentioned before around the way you want customers to feel when they're wearing your garments. And I definitely think that sense of boldness comes through in how I feel when I'm wearing this. Like yes. it's got a sense of sort of attitude, yes. but also like a like a power that you sort of feel like it's so beautifully crafted and it's sort of different, but not too, I don't know, flamboyant. Yeah. You know, it's not frilly. It's just <laughs> yeah. kind of like, it's gutsy. So that definitely resonates. All right, bold. We're going to remember that. The other thing I really think is important to talk about is what you would say to your younger self if you could go back and say, hey, listen to this or read this, what would that be for you? I think that's true. So I think that if I had listened to that podcast, and I still listen to it a lot, is um, Second Life. It's a US-based one and I've stopped listening to as many US-based ones. But I remember listening to it and it's just about women that have had one career and okay. then they move into their second career. Oh, I like that And sentiment. that second career, I mean, 
tends to be quite big in the, in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that I learned that really when I was young. It's like I can start off being whatever I want and you actually have like a really long working career, like 50 years. Oh, it's getting longer and longer with retirement exactly. age finishing. And and- I, yeah, instead of going I need to be this one thing, to know that you could have like 15 years in one career, retrain to another 15 years and then end on something that you want to is really, really powerful. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe you didn't have enough marks to become a doctor, but it means that you could still work towards it. You could literally train, you could work, start doing something else, and you could become, or you become a florist. Like, I could still become a florist, you know what I mean? Like, knowing that. That would be some pretty amazing arrangements, (laughs) I reckon. Like, some pretty bold floristry. But, like, that, listening to those stories, and, you know, some of them are quite, like, instant, and some of these women are, like, hustling, and then they... You know, some of them are really executives and are bored and then they turn out and, you know, run. Do something else. You know, yeah, $50 million companies. And then I think some of the books that I wish I read earlier was James Baldwin, who was an an African-American activist. And reading his words and really understanding the fight of, you know, acceptance and fighting for what he thought was right was really, really interesting. Like just hearing at him and Angela Davis, having, knowing that you come into life with these warriors of people that think like you and, you know, like really have these, you know, they spend all their time in Paris and really having these global thoughts and having this really big wide lens of the world. I wish that I kind of got introduced to that literature earlier in my life. I think it would have made me feel a lot more braver. Is there a specific book? I think I read a series of his essays. Okay. I remember just going, oh, wow, what a powerful man and just hearing him speak because he has this like nice raspy kind of voice I just remember being like oh my god that is so amazing that someone has this is talking about the potential of a whole race of people where people at that time people had thought about them in this such different way and he was like there in Paris you know you know poets and artists and like really paving this way and changing people's perceptions was just so interesting and powerful. And when did you come across that those essays how old well when I when we starting when when we started collecting closets we did like and we still do it every season we work on a theme and that was just one of the themes where we were just introducing really powerful interesting you know black people into what we were doing and understanding like why we're having those conversations about it and so Lorena was like you know start researching and then I started to reading and I got into it and then this would have been a rabbit hole I'd imagine of like oh my god where have you been all my life and then we were doing like weekly EDMs and we were like you know recommending different books for people to read and audio and so we like constantly reading and doing all it was really really beautiful and I really people kept emailing us saying oh my god I just read that or I just listened to that I just was like oh this is so powerful it is I mean that's one of the things I like about contemporary culture around podcasting is every time I talk to someone you know it used to be that you'd recommend a book and now it's also the medium is so much more Mm. open that you can recommend a book or a podcast or a you know radio show if people are still doing radio but the idea that you can share that knowledge and there's nothing better than when you come across something that someone recommends you like oh my god that is so beautiful I wish you know I can't wait to share it with other people yeah so good I love it I love it (laughs) So 
That's a wrap for us. I really want to say thank you, Fatima, for being not only such an amazing business inspiration to so many people and um, I'm sure future generations for, uh, you know, not only co-hosting today, but for just for showing us your version of biting big with biting big with little small chunks along the way, not too big. And I loved your mantra about always being kind. One of the things I've really taken away from our conversation today is this idea of doing it on your terms. And, Mm. you know, there's certainly, I can think of many times in my life or in business where I feel like I'm a slave to the business or I'm, you know, I'm just constantly doing work for the business as opposed to, is this serving me? So I really love the idea of this is on our terms. Yeah. That's beautiful. (laughs) And um, I would like to say that this podcast is made by women and to show our gratitude, we donate $500 to each of our guests and you have chosen the charity Sisters Inside who support criminalised women, girls, children and families. So I'm really interested to understand what that significance is for you. Mm. Well, I read about this charity, I think it was maybe through the COVID era. And it's again about being kind, yeah. So it's a charity that supports women that have been, you know, in prison or have been in that institution. And then they come out and it's like, what are they doing? Like we all make mistakes. Mm. It doesn't need to shape the rest of your Our life. life. You yeah. just and also the children's lives, I'd imagine yeah, for those. children, family, yeah. and the people that help, you know, co-parent while you're away. Mm. I feel like everyone, everyone's got the ability and I don't think people understand it. You could be, you know, texting when you're, driving and, you know, that's totally legal. You hit someone. And you yeah. hit someone and it changes the trajectory of your life because you've, you know, killed someone. Yeah. And all you need is someone to be kind and invest in you. Yeah. And that's what she does. Debbie's a really amazing person and I'm like, oh, wow. How did you come across that. Debbie and Sisters Inside? Well, it was through the um, Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. Um, people were talking about Indigenous businesses yep. and, you know, organisations that were really transformative. And we have such a poor record in this country of yes, Indigenous incarceration. Exactly. and uh, So I imagine yeah it's an important topic yeah exactly just giving people a second chance you know not stereotyping them and saying you've done this and this is what it means and changing that generational change as well knowing Mm. that like maybe this has happened to your family but my mum's then gone on to do a million other things and you know she's changed our lives you know making a mistake doesn't mean that your whole life is ruined and I love that she's actually you know there's mentoring in there there's support there's all these other other programs that actually uplift these group of women. That's really incredible. I hadn't heard of them. So thank you for introducing uh, Sisters Inside and we'll definitely put the link to that in our um, show notes. Well, I've been your host, Anne Bonnie, and until next episode, may you bite big and chew like hell. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.